Matthew. We're in the, in the gospel of Matthew, the good news of Matthew. And Matthew is one of the authors in the New Testament. Uh, in, in fact, he's the first one in the New Testament. And he gives us this collection of stories about Jesus. And he doesn't want us to miss, uh, when, we're, when we're thinking about God and we're thinking about um, us and our lives and the way that we live, he doesn't want us to miss Jesus because if we miss Jesus, we miss everything. Yeah. Uh, we miss everything if we miss Jesus. And so, so Matthew, as he's writing, he's writing this very clear outline. And, and, and he's talking about the way that Jesus continues to say, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of God is among you. It's with you. Like you can be a part of God's world starting now and into eternity. And, and so Jesus is saying, it's, it's here. It's among you. It's, it's with you. And there's a way to live differently in the world. Now, how many of you believe that we need a different way to live in our world than what we're living right now? Okay, so 10 of you are going to go along with me, and the rest of you, um, I'll call you back here in a couple minutes. I think Jesus will convince us otherwise because he's giving us this unbelievable picture. Jesus welcomes everyone to the table. Don't you love that about God? Like no one who honestly wants to seek God, no one's turned away. In fact, Jesus' harshest words are for those who claim to speak on behalf of God, people like me, those who, who are teachers of the law, those, those who, who, who are claiming to, to be the gatekeepers to heaven, like Jesus is, is most uh, harsh with them because he doesn't want them to become stumbling blocks to those who want to know God. And I love that about, about Jesus. Now, um, I want you to think for a moment. We're going to talk about children a little bit today. I want you to think back your childhood. You, uh, you thought about your candy for a minute, but I want, to think, I want you to think back about what, what life was like when you were a child. Did anyone go on a road trip as a child? Like, we didn't fly anywhere. If you wanted to go to Disney World, you had to take the, the cross-country road trip. You guys remember that? And as you're driving across the country, your kids or, or your parents tell you, you can just sleep on the floorboard in the back of the car, and it's okay if we flip, you know, you'll probably be okay. We don't know. Or you can sleep up in the back windshield. You know, wherever, wherever you can find a spot, just sleep there and, and everything will be okay. Do you guys remember that, some of those? Now, those of you who are younger in the room, you're like, are you serious? Like the car seats until you're like 15 years old, you got to sit in the booster seat and it's, it's annoying. And well, we didn't have those back in the day. They just threw us wherever we could go and across, you know, and, it, and at times it felt like we were an inconvenience to our parents. You know what I'm talking about? Like if, are we there yet? And eventually, dad would just smack you with the back of his hand. Like, no, like when we get there, you'll know. Like, you'll see Mickey, so just be quiet. And we didn't have iPads or iPhones or anything to keep us, um, keep us like, active. And so we just counted cars and played like the ABC game. You remember the ABC game? You'd look at signs, and I saw an A, and your dad lied and said he saw a Q. And you're like, you didn't, dad, you didn't see a Q. But he just went on and said that he won anyway. Anyway, so children. In the first century, children were at the bottom of the barrel. Children had no status in the first century. Uh, in, in today's world, a lot of times we kind of, we nurture our children, we pamper. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but sometimes we pamper our children. We make everything comfortable. We don't, you know, we, children are super important in our culture today. But in the first century, they weren't that important. And there was a, a, a definite uh, social structure, and guess who was at the bottom? 
Children, yeah, yeah, not a trick question. It was children. Children were at the very bottom of the social structure in place in the Roman world. Now, um, when, when a baby was born, the father, the patriarch of the family, had a decision to make. And usually the midwife, there, there's, there are these stories that we, that we read from historians, the midwife who would help deliver the baby would then bring the baby and, and, and put the baby, the child, on the ground in front of the parents. And the father had the decision on whether or not to accept the child into the family that had been born to his wife. And so if the father picked the child up and it was like the, the Simba moment, you know, like, oh, you know, that... I know that's not the right song. I can't think of what it is. But anyway, like we will accept the child and brings it into the family. Do you know what happened if the baby was left on the ground? The midwife would take the child and leave it on the edge of the town. A, child, a baby who, who has no way of, of living on their own, obviously. Take it to the edge of the town. The child would be left there. Um, if that child was lucky... Someone would come along who couldn't have a child. Every now and then that happened, and they would pick up that child and take them home and raise that child. Um, if that child was, was unlucky, it would either die or someone would pick it up and sell it as a slave after a number of years. Children. The, the lowest point of the social structure in the ancient world. And so Jesus, in his brilliance, brings children up to his disciples. And I, and I love when, when Jesus does this. And what he's, what, he's, what he's talking about in this section of stories is he's talking about the world turned upside down. The kingdom of God is basically taking the ways of the world and turning them upside down. It's the upside down kingdom where, where there's this tension between rulers and servants. And Jesus does this, this thing where he says, you know, to, to really be a leader, you, you actually have to be a servant. Like it, leading isn't about like strutting your stuff and, and creating a place where no one can touch you, but leadership in, in God's kingdom is actually about serving other people. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. He's talking about um, the, the concept of in our world, we seek revenge. If somebody hurts you, you are to hurt them back. If someone hits you, you are to hit them back. And Jesus has this radical way of saying, no, no, no. In the God's kingdom, the way that it works is if somebody hurts you, you forgive them. If, if there's an enemy that you have in your life, you are to pray for them. Jesus goes so far as to say, no, you are to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is like turning everything upside down. Uh, acquisition in our world, we, we like to think about acquisition, like building our own kingdoms. And the more we can acquire, the, the more security we have, the more power we have, the more uh, prestigious we look. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about acquisition. It's actually about generosity, taking what God has blessed you with and sharing that with others. Do you see, do you see what he's doing? Like turning the world upside down and saying God's kingdom is so much different than the experiences um, that we have. Now, um, I, I love the, the teachings of Jesus that that are about grace and that make us feel good and we smile. Like I love seeing the smiles and we, you know, the teachings of Jesus when we, when we open them up and we walk out and we feel so loved, you know, by God and by Jesus. And I think they want to, I think God wants us to feel that. But there are times when, when Jesus gets deadly serious with his followers. You know what I'm talking about? Nope. Okay. 
There are times when Jesus gets deadly serious with his disciples and, and, and is so direct with them. You cannot mistake the seriousness of, of God in these moments. Now, it's still surrounded by his grace and his love, and he's, he's calling us to lean into that. But there are moments where you're like, oh, my goodness, Jesus, like bring it down a notch. And we're going to talk about that one today. So if it's your first day, you picked a great Sunday to show up. One of his teachings where he gets super serious and, and intense. So uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus. And so if, if you can imagine, it's just Jesus and, and some of his disciples surrounding him. So if you can get that picture in your mind, that's where this teaching t- takes place. So Jesus, the disciples come around and they ask Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, I love this because this is just like us as humans, isn't it? Like, I want to know, like, who's the, the most popular in the, in, the, in the kingdom of heaven? I want to know who's the most popular. So one of two things, either I can be friends with him or her, or I can become him or her. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that's us. That's the way we think. Like, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And you think Jesus is about to give them, you know, he's going to turn the tables and maybe he's going to give them some names and none of them are going to expect who he's talking about. And, you know, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus calls a little child to him. And you remember, like, the status of little children? They were, like, at the bottom of the barrel, the bottom of the social structure. And so Jesus brings a child and if, like, if this were the, the, the place where Jesus was teaching with the disciples who had gathered, and he places a little child, and I believe it was a little girl. Like, it doesn't say that in Scripture, but sometimes it, it's helpful to get a, a better, like, clear picture. I think it was a little girl because in, in, in the Roman world, like, women were the, at the bottom of the structure before you get to children. And I think Jesus is trying to make a really important point here. And I think he probably he brought this little girl. And he places her in front of the disciples. And he says to them, I I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your your sinful ways, your selfishness, and become like this little child, this precious little child, unless, unless you turn from your sins and become like this little child, you will never get in to the kingdom of heaven. And I'm smiling, but what do you think, like the face of Jesus was, unless you become like this little child, you will never get into the kingdom. You know, like your parents do every now and then, like like their face like turns on you. It's like, like I see Jesus just like this tender moment then turns to a very serious moment for the disciples. Unless you become like this little child, you'll, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now think with me for a moment about little children, especially in, in that day and age. Little children, you know, they realize that they are completely dependent upon their parents for life, right? Now I know middle school, everything changes. Parents, I get it. Like, By that point in the ancient world, they weren't considered children anymore. But little children, there is something about little children. Uh, If if you're a parent or if you're a grandparent, do you you remember the nights when your your child cried out to you because they were so afraid of the dark? Do you remember those nights? And, And you would go in 
and you would lay with your, and, and that's all they needed to know was that you were there. That's all they needed to know. And it didn't change the circumstances of the world around them. It changed the circumstances of who they were with. You know what, you know what I mean? And there was this trust and this humility, and, and children will like melt into your arms because they realize, they realize how strong you are and how big you are compared to them. There's this trust. There's this level of humility with children uh, at, at the bottom, but completely dependent. Jesus says, whoever becomes as humble and, and, and trusts God completely, fully, like leans into God and just drifts away. Does it, are you with me? Yeah. Realizing that, that the presence of God changes everything for us. Like, until you, be, until you can get to that point, you, you'll never understand the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Because in the world, we're told that the greatest is the strongest, the most independent, the one who's built their own security. You know what I'm talking about? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The greatest in the kingdom, is, it's, up, it's upside down. It's actually the weakest. I love it, the teachings of Jesus. And he continues, Jesus continues. And anyone uh, who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And so he's, he's continuing to talk about this little child who's, who's in front of them. But what Jesus does here is a little confusing because um, you, you kind of have to read between the lines a little bit and understand some of the kind of the background of the language, uh, the, the Greek in the New Testament, to understand that Jesus then transfers this concept of the little child that they see to all who trust in Jesus. Does that make sense? And so what he's doing is he's talking about the child, but now he wants them, those who are listening, to understand themselves being the little children. Are you, are you with me still? I mean, this is a tough little shift, but it's a brilliant teaching mechanism where, where Jesus, then he says, listen, catch this next line. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me, so now he's, he's including all who trust in him, the disciples who have decided to follow him, who've given up everything to follow him. But, but if you cause one of these little ones, both the little children, but also all who would trust in him to fall into sin it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Whoa! Now, we don't understand millstones because we don't have millstones like every day that we see, but in the ancient world, they would have understood a millstone is like this heavy rock that's been cut out and then the middle, almost like a little donut, but weighing a lot and Jesus is saying, if you cause one of these little ones, children, yes, but also one of these little ones who trust in me, if you cause one of them to stumble and to sin, it would be better if you tie one of these things a a around your neck and go as far out in the ocean as you can to where you can't see land anymore and just jump in. Now, I have a, I have a fear of drowning. Anybody else with me? Like, drowning is like the worst possible death that's out there. I mean... We were um, recently, uh, we took our son on a little trip and we were out snorkeling 
And um, it was really rough one day. And this, this lady who uh, was from the area came and she said, you know, it's pretty rough. I wouldn't go out today. But if you feel comfortable going out, you should, you know, this is where you should go. And be careful because there's a lot of currents and different things going out in the ocean here. And so just, you know, be careful. I'm a terrible swimmer. I can't swim. I basically sink. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable. So I got in the water. <laughs> and fairly quickly, I, I found myself in trouble. And um, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I am going to die in this ocean, and I'm going to die by drowning. Now, thankfully, my wife was there to save me um, and help me get to shore. And some of you are laughing, but it's ser- I'm ser- kind of serious. And I was yelling at Connor, stay in, don't come out snorkeling. And Robin was like, don't panic, you're going to be fine. <laughs> we had this moment, but like, this is what Jesus is saying. Like, it would be better for you if you cause a little one, a child, yes, but also any who trust in me, if you cause them to sin, it'd be better if you get this tied around your neck and just thrown into the sea. Now, do you believe Jesus is serious at this point? Yes, he's serious. There's something that Jesus wants us to grasp that is at a level that, of, of life and death. It, it's, it's, a, it's another level for those who want to follow him, and it's difficult. There's, there's some tough, tough teaching here. So he continues. What sorrow awaits the world, and when he says the world, he means all of us again, but he's opening this up beyond just his disciples, and he's saying what sorrow awaits everyone because it tempts people to sin. Like we all have things in our lives that tempt us and lead us into destructive places. Would you agree with that, that there's stuff all around us all the time that we don't want to do, but we end up doing because it's there, and you know, it just kind of trips us up, and we stumble because it's, it's around us, right? So Jesus is saying this, um, but... He says, temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting, who puts the things in the place that cause people and children to stumble. Now, I just want to take a quick time out here and talk for for a minute about um, what what I think is is true of all of us. No matter the level of um, health of your family of origin, every person in this world is handed some baggage in life from their family of origin. Now, I understand some of you might be mad at me and think, Matt, I had the perfect family growing up and I'm, I'm really good, healthy, all put together. You can email me, joe at mcdowell.church, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> um, if you're saying that, there's some other things. But, but even in the healthiest of environments, we tend to pick up and stumble along the way from certain things going on in our family of origin. Does that make sense? Are you you with me? Robin and I have time to time. We said, hey, let's quit saving for college for our kids and save for counseling. It'd be a much better use of the money, and um, they're going to need it at a a great level. It just happens as as much as we don't want it to happen, and as much as we want to say, no, I I raised my kids, and I didn't do what my parents did, all of us pass things along to our kids that we wish we, we didn't. And there's things that are, that are there. And I think, I think one of the things that we can take from Jesus' teaching here is that it's important that we look into our, our lives, into our hearts and into our minds, and we deal with the things that have been a part of our lives maybe from the very beginning. That we dig up some really painful things and that we're really honest with, with some of the mess and chaos that is deep within each of us. 
Because if we don't, the things that we just kind of blow off and we think, oh, it's not a big deal, it's just who I am, it's what my parents gave me and I can't do anything about it, those things will become the rocks that cause both our children and the people around us to stumble. Now let me say, let me say that again. The things that we just kind of set aside and say, that's just who I am, I can't do anything about it, the things that we ignore and we think, oh, it's not that big of a deal, those become the rocks that cause our children and those around us, those that we love the most, to stumble and fall. And Jesus says, woe to those who, who don't get into the chaos and mess and brokenness and sin of their lives and root it out so they don't just pass it along to the others. Now, let me say something to the married um, couples in the room. One of the great uh, temptations and tendencies of married life is to say to our spouses, it's just who I am, and you're going to have to deal with it. It's just who I am. I've tried to fix it. I can't fix it. And this is who I am, and it's how I'm wired, and you're going to have to figure out how to navigate that with me. Anybody been there before? Don't look at your spouse right now. Don't nudge, <laughs> super uncomfortable. Um, and, and Jesus, I think, wants us to understand, no, 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 the things that, that, that are broken within us, like those will eventually, we think we hide them, it will spill out on others. And so we got to do everything. We cannot ignore the things that are within us. And so he continues, so if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. Like, do you see that Jesus is serious? Like, if, if your foot or your hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Now, I'm going to come back to this eternal fire and hell thing in just a minute because Jesus is, there's something else going on there that I want us to understand. But do you get that Jesus is like incredibly serious in this moment with his disciples, his followers? And he's saying, if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to sin, like, like just go ahead and cut it out. And cut your hand off. And we think, that's crazy, Jesus. Like, we can't cut our hands off. And part of the point here is that sin, where does sin start? Does it start with your hand or your eye or your foot? Where, where does sin start? Heart? And in your mind? And that's what Jesus wants us to get. It's not about the hand. It's not about the eye. It's what's deeper than that. And you need to get into your mind and your heart and root out the, the sin that's in there, the things that cause you to go that direction. Now, many of us, uh, oftentimes we think, what I do in private doesn't hurt anyone else around me. And Jesus disagrees. Some of us think I can slip down to the basement at night or I can go to my office or when nobody's around, I'm out of town, I'm in a hotel by myself. What I do in that place doesn't affect anyone else. And, and that's, uh, that's how we mess ourselves up at a level and allow something to, to get deep within us and it always will spill out on those around us. If I continue to look at pornography over and over again in the privacy of my own room or my house or a hotel when I'm traveling or wherever that is, and I think, and, and, I, and, I, and I'm convinced that that doesn't affect anyone around me, I, I'm, I'm being completely fooled. And Jesus talks about lust earlier in, in, 
chapters 5, 6, and 7, he says the same thing. That eventually, that practice, that sin, that brokenness will come out and I will objectify someone in the physical world because I've done it so long on my computer screen. Does that make sense? And so Jesus says, deal with it. Like, root it out and deal with it. God takes seriously our refusal to deal deal with the sin and brokenness in our lives, especially when that creates a living hell to others. God takes seriously, he takes seriously our refusal to deal with the things in our lives, especially when those, those things in our lives, the sin and the brokenness in our lives, create a hell for those around us. And then he finishes by saying this, Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. Like this is a moment that we can smile for just a second because what Jesus is saying, have you ever heard of guardian angels? Have you ever thought about guardian angels? And the way that they're portrayed in the Bible, or not in the Bible, but uh, on cartoons and TV is that little children have guardian angels that are kind of watching over them. But what Jesus is saying here is not just children have guardian angels, but anyone who placed their trust in him has a guardian angel. And that guardian angel is actually not like on their shoulder or hanging around protecting them. That guardian angel is where? In heaven with God on their behalf. Like, that's good news. Like, if you trust God, if you trust Christ, if, you've, if you put your dependence in him, there's actually someone with God speaking on your behalf. Amen. Well, I mean, you don't have to say amen, but it should cause you to smile like someone's vouching for me. That's awesome. Like, with God. Somebody's, like, in my corner with God. Like, I've got someone who's pleading for me. And that's, that's incredible. So, so God says, be careful what you do to others because they also have someone. Other believers have someone who's pleading on their behalf in heaven. There's angels there in, in the presence of God. Now, I'm going I'm to take a step back and, and talk about the whole hell and fire language. Because sometimes when we hear that, um, what we do is we quickly go to the concept of when I die, I'm either going to go to heaven or hell. Does that make sense? Like sometimes we think that's what's out there. And when I die, maybe if I'm good enough or if I pray to prayer, then I'm going to go to heaven. And if I didn't, and if I'm too bad, then I'm going to go to hell. What Jesus is doing here is he's capturing their imagination um, that, of something that's physically present around them. He, he wants them to understand that hell isn't just something they could experience in the future, but hell is a very present reality in our world. And um, the word hell here is actually Gehenna. That's the, the Greek, what we would read in the Greek if we were reading the Greek. Gehenna, which means the Valley of Hinnom in the Hebrew. So let me um, just go back for a minute. Are you okay doing a quick history lesson? A few of you are like, yes. The others are like, I'll catch, I'll, I'll wake you up here in a minute. Go ahead and drift off. Um, those who are good with a history lesson, um, in, the, in, in, in the time before Jesus, there were a people, the Israelites, the Jewish nation who God had called to, in essence, like, like open the door for all the world to experience God. Like he said, I'll bless you and I want you to bless others. 
And so he gave them a land. It was called the promised land. Many of you remember that story of Moses leading the people out. They went to the promised land, and in the promised land, um, they wanted kings. So God gave them kings, and those kings, some of them were great, some of them were terrible. There was a king who decided to bring in um, outside gods, not just God of heaven, but outside gods, and wanted to begin worshiping these outside gods. So there was one outside god, Molech, and he, bring, he brings in this like, statue of this Molech, this outside god, and this god was like the god of the underworld, and the way that you appeased this god was through child sacrifice. Now, is that crazy? And, and God's people, the Israelites, like bought into it. And so what they did, this, this Gehenna, this valley just outside of Jerusalem, this valley that ran just outside of their, their, their main city, they would take, now stay with me, they would take children, little ones, to this place. They would place them on this statue and they would burn them alive to appease a God that they thought existed. Now, we gasp at that. That seems ridiculous and crazy. And this angers God. Like if you read through the Old Testament, there's some crazy stories like this that kind of reveal some historical context of, of, of the, the world in which they lived and how they understood the gods and, and they understood God and themselves. And, and God was so angry with them. He said, you know, what's going to happen because of what you've bought into is the, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to overthrow you. They're going to take over your city. And every one of your soldiers who fights against them, who, who is killed, they will be taken into Gehenna, the Valley of Hinnon, and they will be burned on the very altars that they burned children, that you burned children. In other words, what, uh, what God is saying to his people is hell, Gehenna, is, is the fire that you started. And the very fire that you started will one day consume you. Now, now stay with me just for a second. This is, this is a difficult little like, transition. What I think Jesus wants us to understand is that when we refuse to deal with the sin and brokenness in our lives, we are creating a, a fire, if it were, a, a bit of a hell around us. And what eventually happens is we, we, we become a part of the very hell we don't want to see in others. Does that make sense? I mean, I think Jesus is doing something brilliant here, and he's painting a picture of the very valley that they knew existed. This valley, not just was a, it wasn't just a place of child sacrifice, and then their soldiers were burned in, but this became the, the, the trash dump of the city. They would take it there, and they would burn it, and there would be this stench and this fire and these ashes that were there, and Jesus wants them to see this, I think, in their minds and he, he, he wants them to understand that, that when we refuse to deal with the, the crap in our lives, that crap turns into a living hell that others have to live through. And eventually, that path that we stay on becomes the hell that we embrace ourselves and burns us. Does that make sense? Do you think Jesus is serious in this section? When Jesus talks about hell, he's not talking about somewhere that you're going to go when you die one day. He's talking about the hell that we literally create in the world around us and the hell that is very present in this world. And when he says the kingdom of heaven is near and it's among you and it's with you, he's saying that we can experience a little bit of God's place in the here and now as well. 
Yes, it will continue on, but, but he's saying it's present right here, right now. Now listen, we are a people of image management. Like being humble and honest with the junk in our lives, we do not like that unless it's behind closed doors with just ourselves in a mirror or something. Like we don't want anyone to know. We're, we're a people of image management. We love to hide our weaknesses. We don't want anyone to know our weaknesses. But following Jesus calls us to a place of humility and transparency. Why? So that in that dependency on God, he can actually transform the junk that's there. Does, it, does that make sense? Like until we are completely honest with what it is that's in us, God, he can't transform us. Like he needs us to be honest. And he needs us to to own up to the, the things that are creating hell all around us. And some of us know exactly what Jesus is talking about here. We've experienced it due to someone else in our lives, due to the abuse that we've taken, but some of us have created it, and we know we've created it for the ones that we love the most around us. And there's so many of us who, you know, we think to ourselves, man, if I could only go back and change the way I parented, if I could only go back with, my wife and not say those things that created a living hell for her. And we, we, we rarely share this with people around us, but we feel it deep within us. Paul, um, Paul was one of the very first Christians and he was writing a letter to uh, a, a church community, the Corinthian church. And um, Paul like is, is saying, I asked God to like take something from me many times over. And the Lord said to me, my grace is all you need. My grace is all you need. And it was as if uh, Paul heard Jesus saying to him, it's, it's when you're weak and transparent that that's when you'll become strong. That's when you'll be transformed. It's when you're real and when you're honest, when you open yourself up. And so Paul then says, when I am weak, it's then that I'm strong. Now that would be a good passage for us to memorize, wouldn't it? It's when I'm weak that I really am strong because God's grace is sufficient for me in that moment, in that place. When I can't fix it, I can't go back and change it, but I can, I can allow God to do something that I can't do on my own. And that's what it means to trust him, to be dependent upon him. Um, one last passage over in Matthew 20, and then we'll, we'll be done. Um, this, this whole idea of powerful and weak and strong and authority and all that, um, the disciples, again, start arguing later about, like, who's the most, like, most important? And you're like, don't they get it? And I think Jesus is just like, oh, my goodness. Like, really? Like, again, again? He says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people, and officials flaunt their authority over the, those under them. Now, would you agree with Jesus there? Would you agree that in our world, like those who have power, like <laughs> flaunt it and lord it over others, like leverage it against others? Yeah. And um, he says, but among you in, in God's kingdom, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others. And again, he calls us to lower ourselves, to consider others better than us. To, to not look for the places where we can leverage our power for our own benefit, but rather to look for the opportunities to leverage our power to serve those less 
Again and again, Jesus comes and says this. So two questions as we sing one more song. The band is going to come up in the West Auditorium and here in the East, and um, they're going to lead us in this last song. But two questions I want to I wrap up with. Um, the first one is this. Um, have you dealt with the brokenness and the sin of your upbringing? I mean, have you really been honest and, and kind of dug down into what exists there? Or have you allowed that brokenness and the sin that, that has caused you to stumble? Are you just allowing it to spill out and you're just saying, it's just who I am, it's how I'm wired? And if, if that's you, I would encourage you today, like, to lean into God's grace and, and then to, to be honest and transparent, whether it's with a counselor or one of our pastors or a close friend, to go and just seek some help in walking that out for your sake, but also for your children, your grandchildren, and your employees, and your neighbors, and the person who's going to serve you at the restaurant after service today, because eventually that stuff just trips others up all along the way. And the second question, um, what are you doing with the power that you've been given? All of us have some power, some positions, whether it's a parent, um, teacher, a coach, um, some of you have been given businesses and God's blessed you with some things. And uh, the tendency for us is to take the power that we've been giving, given and leverage it for more power or more money or more prestige or more. And so the question is, um, has, has your power and your position given you an opportunity to just humble yourself and serve those around you. And I, like, I get it because I, like, even read that question myself and I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, to use my power to serve other people. Like, that's not how the world operates. I know. It's not how the world operates. And that's the point that Jesus is making because the world is seriously screwed up. And the only way to bring a little bit of heaven into the, the present is to, like, turn it upside down. I mean, I know we have to be managers and we have to have goals and hard conversations, and I get all of that. But are there ways that we can use what we've been given to serve those that we lead? Well, I hope you'll deal with one of those questions today and wrestle with it.